0: Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook livestream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Enjoy the Bible study. Okay, we're in Hebrews chapter 13. Um, We're now in the last chapter of the book. It's taken a number of months. I don't know how many months to get here. Um, But we've arrived after we looked at, I don't know, three or four different Bible studies on the last warning passage of Hebrews. And uh, hopefully you remember that the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. That's an easy question on the exam. But there are two Hebrews in focus. There are those who possess the Lord, truly saved. And there are those who are only uh, professors. They're not saved, but they give lip service to Jesus being the Messiah. Uh, they are in um, danger of sliding back to um, temple worship, Judaism, Mosaism. Uh, Judaism back in that day, although there were certainly the additions of the rabbis, the oral law, the Pharisees, but it was certainly closer in that day to Mosaism the mosaic law and the teaching there because for no other reason they had the temple they had the sacrifices and all of that and these were a group of people who were in danger of going back to to that and and and, uh, apostatizing forsaking jesus as god as messiah and so there are five warning passages in hebrews the last one we just finished in other words to continue on to go back is foolish so we come to a very practical portion uh, really the only practical portion maybe you could put it that way in Hebrews uh, in chapter 13 uh, prior to this almost everything is doctrinal not that doctrine is not practical doctrine is and should be practical uh, but as we look at this and in chapter 13 um, it, it, it gives the possibility or supports the possibility that perhaps Paul is the writer of Hebrews and, and I and I'm, I, I don't know who's the writer of Hebrews we talked about this way back when um, and you have different people who did who believe different things there's all kinds of people who've been suggested to be the writer of Hebrews uh, Apollos and Paul and you know different people um, and the reason it might give a little bit of weight to Paul being uh, the writer of Hebrews is Paul has a style in writing. And you don't find, not find that style per se in Hebrews, but you find it at the end. And that is, Paul's style when he wrote books, he would regularly give doctrine first. And then duty. Now this this is true, so this then is how you should live. Um, and you find this, for example, and uh, you find it in all of his books, but in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, you've got all this great doctrine on uh, believers' position in Christ and, and, the, and the church and what the church is all about. That's the first three chapters. 4 through 6 is very practical. Uh, and 4, one, it starts out, Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. In other words, because all of this is true, you should walk worthy of your calling. And your calling, your vocation, it's not to be a pastor, it's not to be, if you want to use the term, a missionary, it's not to be a Sunday school teacher, it's not to be a a singer in the choir, or any of those, your your vocation is, is as an ambassador for the Lord. Second uh, Corinthians. You're representative of the Lord. That's all of us. And so all of us are called. <coughs> to walk worthy as God's representative. On this earth. Uh, an ambassador. Second Corinthians chapter five. So it's practical. And in chapter 5, four, five, and six. You've got all this practical. Admonition. You find the same type of thing. In Romans in Romans in the first 11 chapters is doctrine in the first 8 chapters it talks about individuals and their uh and, and and what salvation is all about we were condemned we have been justified we are being sanctified and we will be glorified that's the first ch- 8 chapters of Romans you know, if that's all you know about the first 8 chapters of Romans that's all you need to know about the first 8 chapters of Romans I mean, that's eight chapters of Romans in a nutshell. Uh, nine through 11 is Israel. And God is not, just as, just as God's promise to the individual who has been justified, who has been saved, who has accepted the Lord and is being sanctified and will one day be glorified, that is, that is a promise from God that you can, you can you know, take home, take to the bank with you, whatever. Uh, in the same way, God has made promises to Israel, Romans 9, 10, and 11, that He will bring to pass. And the same God who has made promises to us has made God promises to Israel, and He, and he gives a lot of doctrine about Israel, doctrine about us as believers, our justification, condemnation, justification, sanctification, glorification. Then Israel, uh, and there, and. and Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll, you'll, you'll read a lot of books, you'll, you'll hear a lot of preachers say, chapter 9 is past, and chapter 10 is present, and chapter 11 is future. Well, that, that preaches well, but it's not correct. so But anyway, uh, that, it's not easily broken down like this. The history of Israel, yes, but it's not 9, past 10, present, 11, and future. But regardless, it's a lot of doctrine about Israel. When all of that is given, what Paul then does, in Romans 12, 1, same type of thing he did back in Ephesians. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. In Ephesians 4, 1, he said, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, brethren, you could say, you that um, walk, to walk worthy of the vocation, and so on. But in Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and so he exhorts the readers by the mercies of God and the mercies of God is what he has talked about in the previous 11 chapters and in particular to believers the first 8 chapters because by the mercies of God we who were condemned are justified we are being sanctified and we will be glorified by the mercies of God. And the same God who's going to bring us ultimately to heaven is the same God who's ultimately going to bring to fruition through his mercies, his promises to Israel. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your body. And it's practical. A living sacrifice. And he gives very practical admonition in 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 of Romans. So this is, this is common with Paul. So when we come to Hebrews chapter 13, we don't have the same type of language where we have, like in Ephesians and Romans, Ephesians 4:1 and Romans 12:1. "I beseech you, therefore, we don't have that type of language, but we have the same type of admonition that we have. Uh, and he starts out in verse one of Hebrews chapter 13, and he says, "Let brotherly love continue." Now, um, and by the way, let and continue is the same Greek word, meno. Uh, Let continue, same Greek word. Um, So what what he's inferring here is this is something that you as a believer have. He's certainly speaking to believers, unquestionably. Continue in it. In other words, make sure that this is operative in your life. Uh, You have... Brotherly love and we're going to look because when you get saved uh, Romans says the love of God is what shed abroad in our hearts uh, that is something that God gives to us that is supernatural that comes with salvation uh, and so you have it so make sure it continues now uh, and, and I put down here um, Romans 5 5 I actually put it down here um, hope makes not a shame Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. When you're you're saved, God's love is in your heart, in your your body, in your life. It's, It's part and parcel of salvation. Now, you can quench that. And so that's why he's saying, let brotherly love continue. You have it, don't quench it. Make sure it continues. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 8 and 10, and I just put down a couple of verses uh, or passages. Uh, Again, a new commandment I write unto you. Which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shines? He that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. If you love your brother you abide in the light. Uh, We've talked about first John before we've never studied the book of first John. Um, I don't know if we'll ever study the book of John from my teaching here but it's a great book. Um, But uh, I I see this is a letter to believers but it's also it's a it's a letter of, um, of of examination as much self-examination as anything else, but it's also a warning uh, about professing believers, uh, the Gnostics, that type of thing. And, and the purpose of First John is that our fellowship might be um, full and complete. And it starts in First John chapter one, uh, where you know our fellowship is with the Father, um, and we want to have—I'm paraphrasing this now—we want to have fellowship. John says with you. But my fellowship is vertical. My fellowship is with the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to have horizontal fellowship. I want to have fellowship with you as well. But I can't have fellowship when you're down here and I'm up here with the Father. And so what 1 John is about, you need to come up here. You need to have a fellowship with the Father. And where I'm you know, this is not a, this is not a, um, what am I, this is not a, Super spiritual individual we're talking about. This is just somebody who's walking with the Lord. And he said when you come up here and have fellowship with the Father. We're on the same plane. We then can have fellowship. But if I'm up here and you're down here. It just doesn't work. And so you need to come up here. And so he, tell, and he gives three tests through First John. Uh, there's the doctrine test. There is the brotherly love test. And then there is the. My mind went blank. The moral test. Thank you. See, they're good students. So that's why I have them hang around with me, so they could correct me and help me. Doctrinal test, brotherly love test, and moral test, and and that is all the way through First John, and, and and that will set you apart as a child of God. Doctrinally, you have to be sound, and the doctrine is primarily around Christ. Christology the moral test is holy living proper living Uh, and we and we've looked at first John chapter 3 I don't know when we did that I think it was here in relationship to maybe the warning that we looked in Hebrews 12 Uh, but then you have the brotherly love test that you can see right here in first John chapter 2 uh, and verses 9 and 10 he that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness he that loves his brother Abides in the light. And so it's something that is. um, uh, Intrinsic. In our life when we get saved. The love of God is put in our heart. And but. Because we are still have the sin nature. We don't lose the sin nature. Until glorification. We have the capacity of. Use whatever word you want. Backsliding. Coldness of heart. Whatever the case might be. Don't. Let it die out. Let brotherly love continue. Now, love, uh, brotherly is Adelphos um, denotes a brother a near kinsman in the plural, a community based on uh, identity of origin or life. That's from Vine's Expository Dictionary. That's brotherly love is uh, Philadelphia. <coughs> you know, the, you know, it's kind of like the city of brotherly shove. I mean, love. Uh, um, you know, up north, you know, so who's from Philadelphia here? You're from Phila- you're from the area right now. Nobody's going to claim it. So uh, you're from New York? Uh, well, th- yeah, New York is the apple. And that made Adam fall. But anyway, no, I don't believe that at all, but uh, so I don't believe it was an apple. but anyway, <laughs> it just fit when you brought up the big Apple, New York. Uh, um, Philadelphia, Brotherly love. Kindness now we're going to look at this because when you when you in the Greek you have uh, more than one word that's translated in the English love and we have uh, you know Phileo Philadelphia Phileo love brotherly love you know you when you think of a brotherly love like brother and sister or brother and brother that type of thing Uh, then you have uh, eros erotica you know uh, that would—that's a sexual. We, you know, you might put it in the pornographic type of realm, love, where it's really not love. It's—it's it's erotica, that type of thing. That's eros, translated love. Um, then you have um, agape. Uh, yeah, agape. Ag- agape, actually, but agape love. Um, and well, that's God's love, right? Self-sacrificial, correct? You is not that what's taught? It's wrong. We'll look at that shortly. I know, I know. But that's what I've heard all my life. That we're to live like God we're to love like God loves. uh, Agape love. Not 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 you know, Phileo love's fine. I guess get rid of the erotica, but keep the Phileo, but we don't we know, but we really want to live, you know, self-sacrificial. Well, hold on to your seat. Okay. (coughs) But we are told to let brotherly love continue. Yeah, Bob's looking like where's he going with this? You, you're right, Bob. You're waiting to see. You're you're holding off on this. You're are you being a are you being a berean here? So okay, we'll look at this. So now one of the questions that we have to to answer here, because again, who is he addressing here? Hebrews. So the brethren of these Hebrews could be to. Potentially, two groups of people, right? One would be brothers according to the flesh. It fits the definition uh, of adelphos. It denotes a brother or a near kinsman, a community based on identity or origin of life. Well, uh, isn't Israel a community? Isn't their origin of life God? Aren't they kinsmen according to the flesh? The tw- yeah, all of that fits. So, uh, then there could be one of two admonitions, or maybe it's both. The first one, brotherly love, could refer to their fellow Jews, brethren according to the flesh, who have turned from Jesus as Messiah. Because, you know, what might be the, the, um, the, the fleshly response to that? Okay, I... I, 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 I pleaded with you, I've labored over you, I've spent all this time with you, and you're leaving and going back to that false religion. Okay, just go. I don't care. I, I you know, go. You know isn't that a way we could respond to it? You know, how you know, if we want to be honest, don't sometimes we do that with people. <clears throat> um, yeah. So, it could be their brotherly love is their fellow Jews, brethren according to the flesh, who have turned from Jesus as Messiah. Uh, Paul, if you remember, had a continuous love for his lost brethren, according to the flesh. He was beaten. Paul was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was thrown into prison. And yet, he had an amazing love for his brethren, according to the flesh. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1, 9, 1 through 3? You know, I, I, I wish that I myself could be accursed, go to hell, for my brethren, according to the flesh. I can't pray that. I'm not that spiritual. I, 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 don't, I, I wouldn't go to hell so my brothers, I have two brothers and one sister, close relatives, could be saved. I'm sorry, I just, you know. Make call me a backslidden whatever but I think if I asked each you know what hell is like I don't want them to go to hell but I you know and, and I think Paul really meant that now did Paul know that he was secure in Jesus yeah that's, that's in Romans chapter 9 what did he write in Romans chapter 8 right before that nothing 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 can separate us from the, you know but, but I still think he meant it. I, I think that was his heart. Um, anyway, you'll have to answer whether you can do that for your brethren and be willing to go to hell that they might be saved. Um, <coughs> and then ask yourself, are you really being mean that or are you just trying to be super spiritual? Um, anyway, <coughs> so w- there's no, no question. We should have a love for the lost. They may cause us problems. Uh, we may be stoned. We may be thrown into prison. We may be beaten with rods. Uh, but we need to remember they're in the snare of Satan 2nd Corinthians 4 4 they're blinded and, and they, do, they do what they do out of ignorance and blindness and hardness of heart and that type of thing one of the possible admonitions here let brotherly love continue is to the brethren according to the flesh who the writer of Hebrews has been admonishing five times Warning about what's going to happen. And you true believers don't give up on them. Continue to love them. So that's one possibility. Uh, The other possibility, and certainly the second one would be the case, I actually think it's probably both, personally. Because both would fit. But certainly the second one does fit. Uh, And this command does refer to believers. We are commanded to love one another. The family of faith. Not the family of the flesh, but the family of faith. But uh, but again, I think the argument can be made for both of these. Um, but regardless, um, you can come down on this wherever you decide to come down on, and what it means. I think it's both. But certainly, the second is true for us. First Peter one two twenty two. After getting saved, we have a love for the brethren. It says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit, unto un. Feigned love of the brethren. No fake news here. This is true news, okay? This is true love. Don't fake it. Don't be, don't, you know, hey, I'm CNN. You know, what do we call you know? Christ, uh, we got to come up with a moniker for un- for feigned love with CNN. You can do that later. Obviously, you've got the C with Christ. Uh, Christ, no, never? I don't know. Whatever. But anyway, um, so, you know, Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now clearly this is saying the exact same thing that Hebrews 13.1 is saying, right? I mean, this, you know, different words, same type of thing though. Love your brethren. Love them fervently. Don't fake it. It's got to be real uh, in, in what you do. Uh, turn the sheet over. 1 Thessalonians four nine and ten, but as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write on to you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. When we and again this is, this is it's axiomatic, it's foundational, it's intrinsic, with where we are as believers. Once we get saved, Romans five five, what happens? The love of God shed abroad in our heart, who is the primary teacher that we should love our brethren. Me? Your spouse? Just read the verse. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, he teaches you. Now, we've got the sin nature, we've got the hardness of heart, we've got the flesh to deal with. We've got you know, all the things of the world that, that give us all the reasons we want not to love our brethren, right? I mean, I, we could pause right now and go around the room and we come up with 35 different reasons. Uh, you know, well, you know, because they didn't give me a birthday gift when I was eight years old. Why should I, you know, love my sister? Whatever. Or the Christian. Um, God gives it to us. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren, which are in all in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. God has given you that love. Practice it. You do it, but do it better. Do it greater. Do it in a more impactful way. Um, This is between family. This is spiritual family. This is between brethren. Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. What's the work of labor and love? Uh, We show it towards him, right? His name, the Lord Jesus. How? We have ministered to the saints. And continue. And if you do that, God is going to reward you. God is not unrighteous to forget your work. Your labor of love. That you have done in his name for other believers. And ministering to them. Does the Bible teach. And we just started I got another verse here too. Uh, And there's more verses by the way. Does the Bible teach we minister. To family. Yeah. I mean that's what all this is saying look at Romans 12:10. be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another <coughs> uh, affection is cherishing one's kindred especially parents or children fond of natural relatives in other words fraternal towards fellow Christians and the context of Romans would be believers not unbelievers But in Hebrews, the context, I think, fits both. Unbelievers and believers. And if I didn't put it down here, I should have put it down here. Um, I will mention it, and if we come across it later, that's fine. But look at at Galatians chapter 6. If you want to open up your Bible. I, I may have forgot to put this in. It may be later on in the notes. Um, but Galatians chapter 6 in, in, in verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all people. All men. All people. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith so what this would do this would then encompass those two groups as it were that Hebrews I believe is speaking of we're to do good unto all men that would be even unsafe people right but in con- but who especially who should be foremost in our in our in our in our ministry in our in our in our labor of love and who should be foremost household of faith believers. As we have opportunity we could spend a lot of time on that. Not everybody asking for an op- for a handout is an opportunity for you to give. That doesn't you know I th- there are nuances there and understanding and we're not going down there right now. Uh, but not every t- every opportunity is that opportunity for you to give. Um, I, I, I think there's got to be the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the, the, uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to get involved. Um, I'll share an illustration. I don't know if this works or not. I think I've shared some of this, I know, with individuals here. I had a call two weeks ago in the lady, the ministry house, three weeks ago, Early early in April, it had to be almost a, little, almost a month. Um, I had a call from a woman. And the ministry was on her heart. She had been given a few years ago, I don't know how much money, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wouldn't that be nice? You want me to give you hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars? You got a long way, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Write the check. Writing a check is the easy part. Cashing it is the whole different ballgame. And she was given this money with the the express purpose of helping ministries. And she's really helped us in the past. And none of you know her. It's not my wife. None of you know her. With with some big gifts in the past. Towards $50,000. You know, different things. Which has really helped. You know about the Israel Ministry House and the Israel Ministry Center and all that. So she called in early April. She said, I'm down to my last $40,000. And she said, the only ministry that's on my heart to help is Jewish Awareness Ministries. And I just had to call you, and Cheryl did the right thing. She turned it over to me. She always she's a good she's a good uh, employee. <laughs> she's a better wife, but she's a good employee. Yeah, yeah. And so I talked to her and I told her the situation and uh, I said, you know I at this point I can't give you a a, a, we don't own the home yet you I think you know that I haven't brought you up to date this in a long while Uh, we're working through it maybe by the middle of the summer I'm hoping it'll be formally officially legally in our name and not going to share all the background right now maybe next week Um, I said you're the only one on my heart I said well the only thing I can tell you right now at this moment is we're, we're about $21,000 short of what we need. And I said, but I don't know what it's going to be two or three months from now. So number one, people are still giving. And number two, we might be he- he- hit with, a, with the seller's purchase tax. I've shared that, I think, in the past. with In Israel, a foreigner buys a house, there's a buyer's purchase tax. We can, that is factored into this. We have to pay eight percent of the, uh, of, the ta- of the of the, of the uh, of assigned price by the tax authority in Israel on the house. That's our resp- eight percent uh, of that, um, and it's one point six million shekels. So it's depending. It's about thirty-five. That that we can't get around away from that. But there's a buyer's tax. I'm telling you much more than I need to tell you, um, which is the seller of the house pays that. Unless you're an Israeli, but the, the exception is if you're an Israeli, if you haven't lived in the land in the last six months, you have to pay the seller's tax. Well, Moshe and Shoshana sold us this house, and they're Israelis, and, but they haven't been in the land because of his illness that t- took him down two years ago here, and, and yada, 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 yada. So uh, our attorney is, and I'm telling this gal this story, and our, our attorney is going, she thinks she can win it. She's going to appeal it. We've got letters from the Israeli doctor that flew to the States to visit and the, and the American doctor. Yeah. But you know, the tax authority, they may come and say, it doesn't matter. They haven't been in Israel for the last six months. So you owe another $40,000. So I said, we may owe as, uh, as much as $60,000. I don't know. We won't know until we know, right? You know, until we get there. She said, Well, you're the only one on my heart. I said I said, Well that praise the Lord. You do what you want to do. I said, I'll call you in a month and update you on it. Thank you for praying for us, but I appreciate your thinking of this. Goodbye. I hung up. I didn't ask her for the money. Hoping she would send it, but I didn't ask her for the money. The point I'm making God had impressed on her heart she's given money to other ministries I don't know who she's given to she's given to us but she's given hundreds of thousands of dollars away over the last what two years Cheryl three years whatever it's been thankfully we're in the loop um, and she's down to her last and the only ministry on her heart right now that she is sees as an opportunity to give to is us now a month from now who knows what's going to happen. But she see, she doesn't see it as an opportunity to give. I don't know who else she gives to. I have no clue. I've never asked her, and I won't ask her. To ministry A, B, C, and D. She doesn't want to give to them. Not that she hasn't given to them in the past. But God is the whole point I'm making is is every opportunity out there is not an opportunity. You following? You know God has to be a part of this equation, and that's a supernatural thing. And, and whether she gives or not. Praise the Lord. I, I think she's going to do what God wants as she believes God's leading her. Um, and, and would it be nice to get it? Yeah, but if it doesn't come from, from the right hand, it's going to come from the left hand. You know, God's going to provide. Anyway, I, I, you know, not every unsaved person or ministry or need that comes across your path is an opportunity. I just, you know, I think people misunderstand that. But it captures the point Galatians six ten. Do good unto all people, but especially the household of faith. That should be our our priority when we help people. But it doesn't mean we can't help unsaved people. Um, but you got to be wise there and so on. Okay. Now, why is brotherly love important? Okay. Um, I, I think it's very clear in the scripture. There's many other scriptures could have been mentioned. Number one, it shows the unsaved our love for Christ. Uh, John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one to another. Now, you could say that also concerns unsaved. Uh, But all men shall know that you are followers of Jesus if you you show your love to your fellow believer. So so it, it exhibits that you're a follower of Christ. Unfeigned love. Not fake love. Uh, it reveals our true identity. Here's a couple of verses. 1 John 2, 9 and 10. 1 John three fourteen. He that saith that he is in the light and hates his brother. We looked at this earlier. Is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light. and There is none occasion of stumbling in him. It shows that we are followers of the Christ. That we're children of God. If we love our brother. Or, as First John 3 says, "We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death." Oh, that's pretty clear. that's pretty strong. How do you know you're a child of God? How do you know you're no longer in the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, and you have passed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? You love the brethren. You love the believers. you love the family, and you show that family. And that is an example or a manifestation that you are a child of God. That's the brotherly love test. There's the moral test. There's the doctrinal test in 1 John chapter 3. So it, it shows our true identity. It reveals our true identity. It pleases God. Right? You got that, jo- you, you want to translate, Joyce? You can't just read that verse in English right there. Psalm 133.1. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's a little Hebrew song. And, and, and Bob's going to sing it for us after the Bible. No. No. His wife. Yeah, that. <laughs> okay. Behold. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now um, we're going to look at at, at at a factor of this because unity is always based on truth. But it pleases God; it's good. God says it's pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. But unity is not by throwing away every doctrine, and we and and so we fellowship in unity around. Um, um, the barbecued pork because I could never do that Buzz loves that no no this is a unity is based on truth so so what is brotherly love Um, you know it's important to show it it's important to have it what is it it's not superficial sentimental affection it's not what brotherly love is it's not you um, cooing over like a newborn oh Look at that baby, you know, such a pretty baby. You know, I met uh, where did I meet that guy? Just recently I met somebody who named their, or their child named, named their grandchild uh, Theophilus. You know, Theophilus is from, you know, the guy in Acts chapter one and Luke writes, Theophilus. You know how he you know how Theophilus got his name? I told this story to a Greek worker that I used to serve with years ago, and it's a Greek name. Theophilus. You know, and I said, you know how Theophilus in the Bible got it? You know, he, he was in the nursery. And his uncle came by. And his, and his mom and dad, they, were ju- they didn't know what to name the child. And, and the uncle came by and, and he looked at the baby and he, and, and he said, his mom and dad were standing in a shirt. And he said, that's the awfulest looking baby I've ever seen in my life. So they named him Theophilus. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, this Greek guy, he did, he, I don't think he ever spoke to me again. He was a doctor. <laughs> we served in the same Jewish ministry, and he didn't, li- he didn't crack a smile. He didn't like it at all. You know, you know. so that, that's, that comes out of the Talmud, by the way. That's not a true story. Um, no, it doesn't come out of the Talmud either, so anyway, why did I say that? Um, oh, it's, it's not sentimental affection. That's not what it is. Um, look at uh, it's affection, yes, but characterized by practical expression of good deeds towards others. So, so God's giving us emotions. It's affection, it's caring, it's ministering, but it's ministered through practical deeds. Uh, towards others, that expression, first John three seventeen. whoso but whoso had this world's good and see his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? So there are those opportunities that God gives to us to help somebody in need, and if we are being impressed by God to help whomever that individual is, or ministry it could be, but individual is a brother. And you don't do it, if you shut up your, your compassion, your, your heart of compassion, how does that communicate that you're a child of God? It doesn't. So here's, a, here's, here's something practical. First John, the next two verses. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So just, it's not, oh, I, 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 God's just impressed me. To help this person that I know of, this believer that's really struggling, and, and I'm gonna do something, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm gonna really help them, and, and, and yada, 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 yada. Then everybody leaves and he goes home. <laughs> you know, doesn't do a thing. So you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. That's what this is saying. <laughs> yes. yeah well in that case that may not be an opportunity to help them they may be taking advantage of your kindness and you've got to have wisdom there um, sometimes tough love is the best love uh, because people will take Yeah, when, when I was when I uh, was in when Cheryl and I were in San Diego and we we had Shalom Outreach Ministries it was through a local church in San Diego <coughs> so I had an office uh, in the church and my office, the pastor's office, my office was where the uh, back door entrance was. So when all, the, when all the, the homeless came looking for a handout, the pastor was behind locked doors and I was confronted with them. Um, and we had a general rule, it wasn't my rule, it was the church's rule. We didn't give a dime to anybody. We didn't give a dime to anybody. Because they would ride the circuit. They literally would. And, and 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 they would go from one church to another, and two years later they come back with the same story. Oh, my child's in the car, and they're sick, and uh, I need a handout, and 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 I I know churches, you know, express Christian love, and so on. I and we said, you know, sometimes we okay, you want ten dollars? <coughs> we want eight hours of work out of you. We'll give you ten dollars. Where do you think they went? <laughs> they left. They're going to the next church. Um, It was a racket. It's kind of like uh, you you see these people on, and I'm not saying that this particular person is like that, but these people that stand on corners of busy streets and say, you know, out of work, Vietnam veteran, whatever with a placard, you know, help me out, that type of thing. Uh, When we were in, 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 and again, San Diego, I remember, because the weather there just attracts so many people because the weather is so nice. Know, if you're going to be homeless, you don't want to be homeless in Minnesota. Uh, you know, you want to be homeless in Southern California. I mean, let's be real. Um, they did an expose, and these people, they stand all day in the corner, and then they leave, and they go get in their Mercedes, and they drive home to their $500,000 home. Literally. Literally. It's a scam. It was their job. And people being compassionate, you know, so we've got to be wise um, because people will take advantages. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe you were enabling them. Maybe it was for drugs. You know, you've got to be wise. So just because somebody asked for money, that doesn't mean it's an opportunity to give. That's why I say, as you have opportunity, is a word loaded with um, inference. You know, not every opp- not every opportunity is an opportunity. So, um, so but we do have to show it, and we have to help people. And then 1 Corinthians thirteen is the chapter on love, um, and it's all act- love is an act- action verb. It's not a passive verb; it's an active verb. Love does this, and love does this, or love doesn't do this. <coughs> so it's not a feeling, uh, that type of thing. So turn, go to the next page. Um, it's always based on truth. We, First John three eighteen, we love indeed and in truth. So you, when you help people out, it's got to be based on truth. And what did what did Jesus say? Thy word is truth. And the word of God is the basis for all truth when it comes to the spiritual realm. Psalm 85:10 puts it this way. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. <clears throat> mercy is goodness, kindness, faithfulness. But mercy and truth <clears throat> are met together. You cannot show biblical mercy if you abandon biblical truth, they come together. They work together. So you have to have that together. <clears throat> Proverbs 3 3. Let, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Right. Yes? Hey, is this, uh, you know, their, the idea of allowing homosexuals is based on love. Their mercy without truth. They're mercy without truth, yeah, and we should not. A Christian should not have anything to do with that, because mercy without truth is no mercy. It's 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 foolishness, it's it's what, yeah, propagating error. I mean, there's all kinds of words we can live. It's not it's it, it's not real. It's not biblical mercy. You know, and they you know this Pete, this Indianapolis, I think it's Indianapolis mayor, who's running for president, who's a true Christian. Have you been reading any of the comments about, you know, he's the true Christian, and Mike Pence? Well, I'm not sure about his Christianity too, but that's a whole other story. He's, he's an evangelical Catholic. That's an oxymoron. You cannot be evangelical and Catholic. But that's another story. He's more, he's more closer to being. A Christian, then, then Buddha, 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 Buddha. We'll call him Buddha. Uh, <laughs> Buddha Gag, Buddha gang, I forget his name. Um, <laughs> everybody's saying what a great Christian is because he wants to let everybody do what they want to do—lesbians and and transgenders and, all, and and anything goes. Pardon? Oh, he's yeah, he's he's a he's a homosexual. Yeah. Uh, But he's a true Christian. I don't say he's a true Christian, but the commentary on this guy, he wants to show mercy. But that's not mercy. That's foolishness. That's unbiblical trash. You know, that type of thing. Then it goes on in, in, in 1422. Do they not err that devise evil? But mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. So you want to do good? You gotta have mercy and truth. They're not separate, they work together. 16 6 of Proverbs. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So, how do we get rid of sin? By by teaching mercy coupled with truth. You don't pander to Sinfulness, that encourages it. You've got to couple your, your compassion, your mercy with truth. 2028, mercy and truth preserve the king and his throne is upholden by mercy. Mercy and truth uphold, preserves the king. If there's anything that's going to be the downfall of our president, He's not a king. I understand that, but he's a, he's the president. He's the leader. It's <laughs> he doesn't know. I'm he doesn't know truth. He very rarely knows truth. Um, the guy's a liar. Um, you know, he's done some great things for the country. I believe, but if anything brings him down, it's it's his it's, it's his lack of it's, it's his it's his hubris. His pride is you know and his lack of, of, of honesty and truth and uh, you know he, if he would have a different demeanor in my opinion he would go down as probably the greatest president this country has ever had but he's his own worst enemy mercy and truth preserve the king um, and what he is doing now we're talking the political realm I understand this this is the spiritual realm But when you talk about preserving the king, it's also more—it's practical stuff too. What he's doing is based more on truth than what we would get from the Democratic Party. You know, when you when you speak about basic things politically speaking, or on the Constitution, that type of thing. Um, But you can't lie about what you're doing. Uh, uh, And and he's just mixing it. If he goes down, you know, uh, that's what's going to cause it, in my opinion. It's like this when a doctor prescribes medicine for your illness if it comes in liquid form that liquid medicine usually has some kind of sweetener added to make it taste better and go down easier truth is the medicine it cures the sickness love is the sweetener it helps it to go down easier so what god wants is both from us mercy and truth love and truth but what really cures people is not love truth jesus said that i am the way the truth and the life people need truth they will hear it if we come to them in love and compassion and that t- but we cannot Um, compromise our message thinking we're going to win them over that's the problem of evangelicalism today by the way it is compromising the truth thinking that they're going to win the loss that way that's not the way to do it Um, if you have a choice between just the medicine or just the sugar go with the medicine Uh, the best thing is to put them both together and then that medicine goes down a lot easier You want truth and love, truth and mercy together. Now, God is love. 1 John 4 8. We could also see verse 16. 1 John 4 8. He that loves not knoweth not God. We're getting to the agape, agape stuff, Bob, shortly. He that loves not knoweth not God, for God is agape, or agape, if you want to put it that way. God is love. Agape, usually defined as, quote, And I forget where I got this from. I should have put the reference. Willed love. An act of willed self-sacrifice for the good of another. God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. It was was an act of self-sacrifice that God purposely did for the betterment of those who would accept him for the world. Right? Not that the world's going to accept him. (coughs) That's usually how it's defined. Um, one Greek lexicon says brotherly love, affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, love feasts. Uh, agape, agapeo uh, It's of persons, to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly, of things, to be well pleased, to be contented at, or with a thing. And then you have phileo, which is brotherly love. You know, phila, philea, delphia, phila, philadelphia. And uh, Philadelphia usually defined as an emotional love, the love of friendship and feeling, and and, and you know uh, when I love with uh, God's love, agape, or agapeo, that means I, I self-sacrificingly help somebody like God does. But when I love with a phileo, it's a brotherly love. It's a whole different ballgame. That type of thing, right? That's what we normally hear. Now you're scared to say anything because I told you you're wrong earlier. Um, So, uh, Philadelphia, love of brothers or sisters, uh, brotherly love in the New Testament, the love with Christians, cherish for each other as brethren, or phileo, to love, to approve of, to like, sanction, to treat affectionately or kindly, to welcome, befriend, to show signs of love, to kiss, to be fond of doing, be want, used to do. Now, are these two words uh, agape or agape, and phileo used which are translated in the English two Greek words for love mutually exclusive in other words is one only speaking of God's type of love which is the highest type of love that God wants us to have and the other is more of a um, earthly you know is it's a brotherly love It's still important but is it different than Agape <laughs> or perhaps. They're more related generally thought. Well, consider the following. 2 Samuel 13, 15. In the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love, agape, wherewith he had loved her. And Ar- Armand said unto her, Arise, be gone. And so the, 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 the point has been made. Can someone who loved sacrificially with the total concern of the other actually inflict the heinous act of rape? That's what happened here upon that person. Seems to be mutually exclusive. Turn the page over. John 3, 35, <coughs> the father loves the son, agape, and hath given all things into his hand. So the father loves the son. But then we are told in John five twenty for the father phileo the son loves the son and shows him all things that himself does. And he shall show him greater works than these that you may marvel. It seems like the father's love for the son, it's both words fit the same type of love. Phileo and agape. Both verses tell us that God loved the Son. Both agape and phileo are used. Doesn't seem to be much of a difference in the English translation. <coughs> Second telling Timothy 420. For I think I left out Demas. But anyway for Demas hath forsaken me having loved agapeo this present world. And it's departed on to Thessalonica. Crescents to Galatia. Titus on to uh, Dalmatia. I think I left out Demas. I'm not mistaken there. And when I copied it. But anyway. Here. Paul was forsaken. <coughs> because Demas. Agape. Loved this present world. It doesn't seem like that word. Would, would, would be conducive. To the use of loving the world. Uh, a self. Sacrificing love. No, why did why did he forsake Paul? Because he was so concerned about his own stuff, not a self-sacrificing love. He wanted the uh, the joys of the world. Seems incongruous to use their agape here if it's an act of will self sacrifice. How about First Corinthians thirteen three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not agape, it profit me nothing. So here is somebody who's sacrificing everything. He's, he's giving all of his goods. He's giving up his body to be burned. But if he doesn't have a self-sacrificial love, it, does, it seems like he does have self-sacrificial love since he's willfully giving up all this stuff. And yet agape is used here. D.A. Carson In his exegetical fallacies, makes this point. The false assumptions surrounding this pair of words, agape and phileo, are ubiquitous. And so I shall return to them again. My only point here is that there is nothing intrinsic to the verb agape or agapeo, the noun. Agapeo and agape, to prove it's real meaning or a hidden meaning refers to some special kind of love. So there's a false assumption that this word uh, agape, whether it's a verb or noun, <coughs> is some kind of special love, God's love. He goes on and says this is an excellent section on whether God hates the sinner or the sin in relationship to his love. And you've always how, how often have we heard? Well, God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. It's not biblical either. He loves the sinner because he sent Jesus to die for him, but he also hates the sinner when he's living in sin. And he hates the sin that the sinner is doing. Here's what Carson says. How then should the love of God and the wrath of God be understood in relation, be, uh, be understood to relate to each other? One evangelical cliche has it that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. There's a small element of truth in these words. God is nothing but hate for the sin. But it'd be wrong to conclude that God is nothing but hate for the sinner. A difference must be maintained between God's view of sin and his view of the sinner. Nevertheless, the cliche, God hates the sin but loves the sinner, is false on the face of it and should be abandoned. Fourteen times in the first Fifty psalms alone and he gives a few examples we are told that god hates the sinner his wrath is on the liar and so forth in the bible the wrath of god rests both on the sin romans 1 and following and on the sinner john 3.36. our problem in part is that in human experience wrath and love normally abide in mutually exclusive compartments you think if you love somebody you can't hate them We separate it. Love, we think, drives wrath out. or wrath drives love out. We come closest to bringing them together, perhaps, in our responses to a wayward act by one of our children. But normally, we do not think that a wrathful person is loving. But this is not the way it is with God. God's wrath is not an implacable, blind rage. However emotional it may be, It is an entirely reasonable and willed response to offenses against his holiness. But his love wells up amidst his perfections and is not generated by the loveliness of the loved. Thus, there is nothing intrinsically impossible about wrath and love being directed toward the same individual or people at the same time. God in his perfections must be wrathful against his rebel image bearers, for they have offended him. God in his perfections must be loving toward his rebel image bearers, for he is that kind of God. This comes from the book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Now, <clears throat> let me put it this way. Man was created in the image of God, right? Pardon? Pardon? All oh, mankind, by our federal head, okay, was created in the image of God. Were animals created in the image of God? No. So are we to understand then that God has two legs, a body, two arms, two hands, five fingers, a nose, two eyes, a chin, and so on? No. No. the The image of God that man is created in is, is his holiness, his perfections. And God's perfections work in balance, never out of balance. And what are some of God's perfections, his attributes? Yeah, maybe you put sovereignty in, but love, wrath, um, justice, faithfulness. And we could probably think of a whole bunch of others. But, but God will never put aside his justice, love would be one of his attributes, to satisfy his love. God could not forgive sinners unless the penalty for sin had been satisfied, justified. That's why Jesus had to come. So he didn't put aside his justice. He fulfilled it in his son when he took the wrath of God that he could then turn around and show the love of God that he wanted to show to people. So God's attributes, and if you want to put sovereignty in there, that's fine. We can, we can exercise sovereignty, right? <clears throat> the man is the head of the home. Does that mean we're a despot, dictator, who rules with an iron fist? All the women said no. I didn't hear one thing from a man. <laughs> no, I know. no, we don't rule. We shouldn't rule. But do some... Husbands rule as a despot, a dictator with an iron fist? Yes. Are they abusing the sovereignty that they have? Yes. God never abuses his attributes. They work in perfect harmony. We are created in the image of God. We are in the fallen image of God. Since the fall, we are created now in the image of Adam, Genesis chapter 6, I want to say. But that doesn't mean it's not the image of God. It's just a marred image of God. It's not perfect. Adam was perfect until he fell. But we are to practice all of those attributes of God. We're creating the image of God in balance and perfection as, uh, as humanly possible in balance and perfection. God does it all the time. We are to practice love and mercy and truth and sovereignty and wrath and you name it. Faithfulness and truthfulness, all of that in balance with everything else. That's a full-time job. (laughs) Okay, Bob. Anyway, all of that to say, the love of God, we should not compartmentalize it, that type of thing. And so then, then we are told this, practical. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So if we are to show, let your brotherly love continue, don't neglect to entertain strangers at times. You may find out that you're entertaining an angel. Now, what passage of scripture is he probably referring to here? Well, not offering up prior to that. Genesis Genesis 18, and the three men that came to Abraham, God and two angels, And he entertained them. He said, wife, do your wifely duties. Fix the meal. Was he abusing his privilege? No, no. Sort of. (laughs) We'll have to see if the females, you know. He entertained an angel. He entertained an angel. Um, Here's Galatians 6, uh, 10. Christians are commanded to love strangers. I thought I'd put it in here. So we have therefore opportunity. Let's do good unto all men. Matthew five forty three and 44. You've heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor, hate thy enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We are to minister to strangers. You've got to be careful at times. Let's not be fools in, in a very sinful world. Uh, Genesis 18, this is what I mentioned about that type of thing. And then going to the final page, <coughs> Just we are commanded to be hospitable. Leaders, 1 Timothy 3, 2. If you're going to be a leader, you are given to hospitality. Titus says this. A bishop must be blameless, steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, and so on, but a lover of hospitality. You've got to be hospitable. Godly women. You need to be well reported of, first Timothy five ten, well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. That's hospitality. Believers, everybody. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Romans twelve thirteen. First John three seventeen. We looked at this. But whosoever had this world's good And and seeth his brother have need, shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwell the love of God in him. We are called to be hospitable. Every one of us. Every believer. Practical considerations. Hospitality should be a basic Christian, basic characteristic of every Christian. We are to love, even if we might be taken advantage of. Christians, and this is a double edged sword. Some of the most easily deceived people in our world are the some of the most devout loving believers. Because we want to help people, we want to minister to people, we want to meet their needs as God has called to us, and there are a lot of deceivers out there, and they take advantage. And if and if and, and I, I would rather I, w- I think I would rather, I, I don't want to be taken advantage of in any search situation, but I would rather be taken advantage of and lose money doing it for the Lord and for the right motives than not being hospitable and having the wrong motives and keeping my money. Um, and, it, and ultimately, you're going to get burned. <coughs> if you do it this way, because the, the devil is slick, he's sly, he's con- conniving. Um, and he's got his people out there we need to be wise as serpents harmless as does but sometimes we're going to be taken advantage of trying to help somebody um, so we are to love even if we are taken advantage of don't let that make your Christianity grow cold it's the world we live in third we should use our common sense in deciding how to help someone there are people who will run scams I've mentioned this to get money from religious organizations and people so we should be wise we should have common sense and first and foremost we are to minister to believers over unbelievers that's where our priority lies very practical let brotherly love continue and be hospitable you may end up entertaining angels And if you have Cheryl over for dinner, you're entertaining an angel. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessing and love. And uh, Lord, let brotherly love continue. Uh, It should be a characteristic of our life as a believer. People abuse us, uh, take advantage of us. uh, But ultimately, our reward is in heaven and not on earth. And Lord, uh, it, it exhibits that we're a child of God that we uh, love you, and that people can see that. But we commit this to you. Bless our fellowship, bless the food. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at JewishAwareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.